Hello, and welcome back to the Braxton Ranch Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Gidding. This week on Campfire Stories, Chapter 14, Following Orders. So let's go get that campfire started, and we'll nestle in for a good story. The Kings of Braxton, Born Unto Trouble. Chapter 14, Following Orders. Neil opened his eyes to a world of pain. His wrists were tied above his head, and he was hanging from a chain that was connected to a track high above him. His bare feet just barely touched the ground below him. He was in a barn with a large sliding door and a small entry door next to that. The ground was just dirt and gravel and there were old wooden crates and boards stacked along the walls on either side of him. This place looked as if it hadn't been used in several years, and smelled of mildew and wet burlap. Above Neil and the track were a series of catwalks that crisscrossed the barn, and there was a small door at the end of one of the catwalks. The few windows in the barn were boarded up, keeping it mostly dark, Only a few beams of light were able to sneak in, giving Neil just enough light to see his surroundings. It had been a long time since Neil had been in a situation where he had no control, and it made him anxious. Pain shot through his shoulders, elbows, and wrists as he dangled from the track, unable to relieve the pressure. His head throbbed, too, keeping him a bit foggy, and unable to concentrate or think clearly. His first thoughts were of escape. He looked around for something, anything that might help him get out of there. To the left was a crate up on end, and he swung himself, hoping to be able to grab it with his feet, but it was just out of reach. All around him were items that would help him get out of his bonds, but none within reach. He looked up at the track, thinking he could slide to the other end and free himself that way. He swung his body back and forth, trying to move along the track, but it was no use. He had nothing solid to push off of, and couldn't get enough traction with his feet barely touching. The nearest weapon was a pile of steel rods piled up near the crates. They were about four feet long, and three inches thick, making them the perfect weapon, but he couldn't get to them while he was dangling from the track. Well, either Sam saves the day or this is how I die, he mused glumly. He could only imagine what Sam was going through and was concerned for him. He knew his brother was a fighter, but did he fight too hard to save himself and end up dead? If not, then what about the rest of the men who'd helped them with the raid? He wondered who, if anyone, paid the ultimate price that night for their poor judgment. Sam hadn't trusted Junior lately, but Neil always kept him in the loop with everything that was going on. That was clearly a mistake, since he was the reason for all the traps and failures over the last month. Carol was right, he thought. 
She'd wanted him to back away from this fight days ago, but he couldn't. He needed to finish it. The sliding door opened, letting in the bright sun and temporarily blinding Neil. As his eyes adjusted, he saw Junior and Frankie walking toward him. Frankie was wearing Neil's prized revolvers around his waist. That alone was enough to make Neil want to kill him. That's right where you belong, King, Junior taunted. Neil said nothing. He merely stared at Junior as if his eyes were about to shoot bullets. The great and mighty, the all-powerful Neil King, caught, captured by one of his own. How the mighty have fallen in the midst of the battle. Junior continued his petulant heckling. Neil hung in silence, his feet constantly trying to find solid footing. You should see yourself. I don't know if you're about to piss your britches or if you're trying to kill us with your stare. Frankie laughed. I won't be living in your shadows anymore. The mighty kings have fallen. Junior gleefully gushed. Shadows? Neil questioned. You never lived in our shadows, Junior. If you think you did, it's just your own insecurities. We always saw you as one of us, an equal, from the very beginning. But right now, you done fucked up. I'm looking at two dead men. Junior punched Neil in the stomach, pushing him back along the track a few feet. The rusty chains were stiff and allowed very little swing. Neil gasped in pain as he struggled to find footing. Frankie laughed, a ridiculous forced laugh that made him look even more foolish. Like he was trying to be the evil villain in some dime store novel. You're not in the position to make threats, Frankie said. I don't make threats. I'm just stating a fact, Neil assured. Again, Junior hit Neil in the stomach. Unable to block the blow, Neil felt the pain radiating through his body. His shoulder popped and crackled, and his elbows throbbed as he attempted once again in vain to set his bare feet on the ground. He looked at the cackling Frankie. How does it feel? Neil asked. Frankie stopped laughing and peered at Junior, confused, then looked back at the prisoner. What are you talking about? he asked. I was just wondering how it feels to be Junior's bitch, Neil said. Frankie unleashed a barrage of punches on Neil, to his stomach, his chest, and his face, before Junior stopped him. Not yet. We kill him after we get Sam to do what we need. If we kill him now, we lose our hold on Sam. Frankie hit Neil one last time in the chest, sending him flying backward and leaving him swinging. Neil was unable to even lift his head amid the pain. We all know how unstable Sam is, Junior began. And I'm going to use that to my advantage. Neil looked at Junior. He won't be your pawn. Whatever your plan is, it won't work. 
We'll see about that, Junior replied. Neil stared at Frankie, making him a bit nervous. What? Frankie shouted. Why the German? Neil asked. Frankie laughed. <laughs> so many questions. He paused for a moment. Because I worked with the Germans during the war, after they wiped out the rest of my unit, Frankie replied proudly. You really are a coward. You left your people to die, then turned against your country, Neil said with clear disdain. I had no choice. I had to think fast before they killed me too. Frankie paused a moment. You escaped my trap over there. But I have you right where you belong now. Neil was confused, and Frankie knew it and laughed. If you didn't pick up the extra troops, my men would have killed you in that damn church, Frankie said as he chuckled again. Neil struggled in his chains trying to get at Frankie. It was supposed to go the other way, but as usual, you and your damn brother ruined it, like you ruin everything. You son of a bitch, Neil yelled. Frankie stepped back, still laughing, then turned and walked to the door, followed by Junior. As Frankie slid the barn door closed, Junior turned to the guard. I'm sending two more men over. We can't take any chances. The guards nodded. What if he's right? What if Sam doesn't take the bait? Frankie asked as... He and Junior walked away from the barn. Then we kill them both. Either way, we win. Braxton belongs to us now, Frankie. And once the word is out, we become richer than either of us could possibly imagine. We're going to have to find places to hide all our money. That's how rich we'll become. We'll have all the power. We already control the elevator. And with it, we control the rails. We will never want for anything again, Junior gushed. I gotta admit, I didn't know how you were going to pull this off. But it all worked out in the end. Just like you said. You're a man of your word, Frankie marveled. 2. Sam sat on the porch of the farmhouse smoking a cigar. He was healing, not much, but enough to make him feel like he was ready. Of course, in reality, he wasn't ready, but you couldn't tell him that. Al limped out onto the porch and took a seat next to him. He leaned his cane against the house and turned to his nephew. You got one of them for an old man? Sam reached into his shirt pocket and handed Al a cigar. Are you done? Al asked. Sam just looked at Al blankly. He had no idea what he was talking about. The fight. Al tapped his finger on his temple. The one with your demons. Is it over? He asked. Al was concerned for his nephew. He'd been through hell and war himself and he knew the demon Sam was fighting. For now, Sam replied, almost embarrassed. 
I have been where you are, Sam. I know the war that rages inside your head. Al lit his cigar with a wooden match. It's the one fight I'm afraid I can't win, Al, Sam admitted. Winning the peace is harder than winning the war. Al puffed on his cigar, and Sam just stared at him. What does that mean? It means you may have to fight a battle more than once to win it. Your demons might haunt you till the day you die, but you can't stop fighting them. The two sat in silence, smoking their cigars, until a car drove toward the house and stopped in front of the porch. It was Marcus and John. They walked to the porch and stopped before the steps. How you doing, Sam? John asked. I'm above the dirt, he replied. Marcus and John watched Sam, who was growing uncomfortable and short-tempered. You're looking better than last night, Marcus said. Is there a reason you're here? I know it's not a social visit, Sam said a little too tersely. Marcus and John looked at Al. He was the one they had really come to see. You have something to say? I suggest you say it, Sam barked. We found them, Marcus said. Sam sat up in his chair, excited by the news, but the pain put him right back down. Just outside of town, John added. Sam perked up again and his eyes got big. It's heavily guarded, and I mean heavily. I must have seen at least fifty men just on the outside, Marcus said with certainty. Where? Sam was growing impatient. The abandoned grain elevator and silo, off of Hallbrook Road, by the tracks. It's like a fortress out there. Sam turned to Al excitedly. I know that place. Neil and I were going to buy it a couple years back. I can go in tonight. You don't look like you're in the condition to do that, Marcus protested. How are you going to lead an attack tonight in your condition? John concurred. I'm not. I'm going in alone, he replied. Alone? John was aghast. Are you out of your mind? You might have been hit too hard in the head. Alone, John. I don't want anyone else getting killed because of me. Nobody has died because of you, Sam, Al replied. Are you sure that's where they are? Sam asked Marcus. Yes. John and I rounded up some Jaspers and a few of the usual people and did a little fist pounding to get whatever we could out of them. Then we went out there and checked it out. And before you ask, no, they didn't see us, John added. And Neil? Sam asked. We think he might be in the loading barn at the far end of the complex. It was the only building that appeared to be guarded, John said. He pulled a cigarette from a crumpling pack and lit it. The building directly across from the bunkhouse looked like it was sealed up pretty good. It might be the armory. If we hit that fur... Marcus was interrupted by Sam. Lone. No we. That's what I said, and that's what I mean. You're a tough guy, Sam, but even on your best day, you couldn't take on that many people in a place as 
big and open as that. There are too many buildings, too much open space, and too many people, Marcus argued. He's right, Sam, Al began. You know he is. You're gonna need help. It's a suicide mission otherwise, and how would that help Neil, or Carol, or Liz? Or me, for that matter. I'm not going in with guns blazing. I can go in quietly. I know that place well. If they hear gunfire, they'll kill him for sure. His best bet is for me to go in quietly, Sam explained. Al looked at Marcus and John for a moment, then back at Sam. You might be able to get in quietly, Al began tentatively. You might even be able to get Neil quietly. But getting back out might not be as easy. Neil might need help walking. He might be weak and unable to move on his own. Then what are you going to do? Charm your way out? Then I'll give my body another day to heal. And I'll go in tomorrow night, Sam replied. What do you want on your headstone? Al asked sharply. Sam paused to take a puff from his cigar. Alone, by myself, with nobody else. Solo, just me. A solitary expedition, a lone adventure, an individual excursion. Unaided, unassisted, unescorted, unattended, unaccompanied, and unattached. I hope that made it clear enough for you. I don't know how else to say it. Sam stood and tossed his cigar out in the yard. Al and the other two just looked at Sam as if he had just gone off the deep end. I think you might have lost a bit too much blood there, Sam, John said, half joking and half concerned. Sam turned and walked into the house. He was still weak and had trouble walking straight. Liz was in the sitting room, reading a book and Sam walked over and plopped down next to her on the couch, just as the phone rang in the kitchen. Neither of them paid it any mind. I know where he is, Liz. I'm going in alone tonight to get him, Sam said, trying to be excited through the pain. Not alone, you're not, Liz said angrily. Yes, alone. I'm strong enough to go in tonight, I think. Why alone? And why can't it wait at least another day? Because I'm not getting anyone else killed. Carol was right. This is my fault, and I'm going to be the one to fix it. Sam and Liz did not realize that Carol was standing in the doorway. She heard what Sam had just said and felt ashamed. She was mad when she'd made that comment, and she didn't really mean it. She cleared her throat to get their attention, and they turned to her. You have a phone call, Sam, she said quietly. Sam struggled to his feet. Yeah, you're strong enough, all right, Liz sniped as Sam made his way to the kitchen phone. Carol stood in the entryway. How you holding up? Liz asked her. Tears welled up in Carol's eyes and began to flow. I want my husband back. She took a seat next to Liz. But I don't want to lose Sam in the process, she added as she wiped the tears from her face with her sleeve. Liz took Carol's hand and held tight. 
Carol continued. It hurts to think of him out there all alone. Most likely tied up in a dark place somewhere. He must be so scared. She wiped her face again. We're all in this together now. And we have to have faith in Sam and his choices. I just don't like the idea of him going out there alone, Liz said. Sam stood motionless in the doorway, looking shocked and sad. His fedora held loosely in his hands. When Liz noticed him, she asked, What is it, Sam? Who was on the phone? Carol instantly thought the worse and began to shake and cry. What's going on, Sam? Carol asked through the tears. That was Junior, he said. Liz held Carol's hand tight, bracing for the possible news that Neil was dead. What did he say? How's Neil? Is he alive? Carol asked nervously. He is alive, Sam said, then paused for a moment before continuing in a low tone. Junior said that he has no intention of killing Neil as long as I do what he wants. And what's that? Liz was almost afraid to ask. Sam fidgeted with his fedora for a moment, then brushed his hair back with his hand. He wants me to go to the jail and kill the man in the cell. What? Why? Carol exclaimed. Then he wants me to go to his office and get a list of names out of his top left desk drawer. A list of people who would stand in his way. Probably mostly cops. Then I'm to kill the mayor. Liz and Carol froze in shock. His own father? Liz stuttered. Sam walked into the room and took a seat in the wooden chair, letting his fedora rest in his lap. He stared at it. If I do this, he'll let Neil go, with the understanding that both of us leave town and never return. Sam was stunned by the demands, and it was hard for him to say them out loud. I can't believe he wants you to kill his dad, Liz uttered, still in shock. What are you going to do? Carol asked. Sam slowly looked up at her. I'm going to kill him. Your cousin has to go, and it won't be quick. I'm going to make him suffer, Sam explained unapologetically. You make that bastard bleed, Carol agreed sharply. Who else is on that list? asked Liz. I don't know. But I can assume that Marcus and John would be at the top. He said it's people who would try to stop him. So now he wants you to do his dirty work for him. Carol was agog. Do you know what his plan is? I mean, what he gets out of all this? Liz asked. No, he replied. But Sam did know his plan. At least he came up with the only conclusion he could. With the mayor and half the police force out of his way, Junior would be free to run the town his way. Braxton was a hub of commerce when it came to farm goods, 
And now it would be the hub of every kind of vice and crime imaginable. Gambling, prostitution, booze, drugs, whatever could be dreamed up. You know he won't let you guys just walk away, right? Liz noted. I know. Sam paused. Then his eyes got big. I think I just came up with a plan. He stood and put on his fedora. But you're still hurt. You need to rest and recover. Liz protested as Sam walked out the door. He paused for just a moment at the edge of the porch, where Marcus and John were still talking with Al. I need you guys to meet me at the fort tonight, at midnight. Without waiting for a response, Sam slowly made his way down the steps and got to his car. He sped off as fast as the dirt road would let him. Now looked over to the women, who were just inside the doorway. Did we miss something? He asked. Three. It was midnight at Fort Hallbrook, and the crescent moon provided very little light for the men who were gathered near its crumbling walls for a clandestine meeting called by Sam. The group of men, which included Mayor Hartford, his assistant Steve, Jake, Al, John, Marcus, Jim, Kenneth, and numerous other police officers and prominent townspeople, stood in silence while Sam explained the phone call from Junior earlier in the day. The mayor stood at the back of the group, his arms crossed and glaring at Sam as he spoke. He, of course, didn't want Sam to kill his son. He wanted Junior to face justice and serve his time. Most of you men here tonight were on that list, Sam began. The rest of you I trust with my life. Which means everyone I can trust is here. And as much as it pains me to say, yes, that includes you, Jake. So, what's the plan? Al asked as he shifted himself on his cane. It's fairly simple, but we all need to put our differences aside and work together. Otherwise, we're going to lose Braxton. Sam was staring at Jake as he spoke, and Jake nodded silently in agreement. We only get one shot at this, and it has to be all of us. The men looked around at each other, then back at Sam. It's settled then. Sam explained to the men that his plan involves staging the death of everyone on that list. Jake would be the key to putting everything in motion. He would find the mayor's body and report it to the police, but most of them would also be dead, or so it would appear, and any cop who was working with Junior would tell him. Once he thought that Sam was doing as he was told, Junior would let his guard down just enough to allow Sam to get the upper hand. Then you all hide out here while I go in and strike, he said. Where do we go in? A voice in the crowd questioned. You don't, Sam began. I'm going in alone, quick and quiet. Sam, Al spoke up. You need these men. With Junior thinking they're all dead, they'll be the best allies you can have. Sam looked around at the men standing before him. 
They were looking to him for leadership, and each one was not only willing, but eager to play his part, eager to help rescue Neil and take down Junior and Frankie. He knew that these men were going to have a hand in this, whether he wanted them to or not. Stay on the perimeter and wait for my signal. If they see you or hear gunshots, they will most definitely kill my brother. Once you hear the first shot, go into action, Sam said sternly. All the details got worked out, and the men left Sam's once secret spot. He didn't like the idea of people coming here and invading what he considered his space, but he knew that Junior would have spies in town watching everything, so the fort was the safest place. He knew it well, and would know if anyone else was nearby. Al remained standing against what was left of one of the walls, and Sam walked over to him. What do you think? Sam asked his mentor. I think it would work, but I'm going to need one of your lung guns. Of course, Sam began. I wouldn't leave you at the house to protect the women without a gun. What have I taught you about respecting your elders, boy? Al retorted sharply. I'm going with you. The hell you are, old man. I love you and trust you more than any man. But it'll be a cold day in hell before I let you go out there with me, Sam stated definitely. Al laughed. It's kind of endearing that you actually think you have a choice in this matter. I'll stick to the perimeter and keep watch over you with the rifle. I taught you everything you know, and you were going to need me there. But you can barely walk, Sam protested. I don't need to walk. I'll pick a good spot and cover you. I'm the best shot around, next to Boom. Al said, Well, as you saw here tonight, I can't keep anyone from getting involved. I'll loan you my best and most accurate long gun, but you need to bring Boom with you. Al simply nodded and walked back to his beat-up old truck. Sam looked around at the empty fort as the fog began to build along the banks of the river. He glanced over at the earthen mound, and through the rising mist, he saw the little girl from France. Harry Bradley stood next to her, holding her hand. Next to him was Nathan Sheets, and next to him was Sam, staring back at himself. This Sam was clean-shaven with a nearly shaved head, wearing a freshly pressed army uniform and smoking a rolled cigarette. The visions said nothing. They simply stood like statues staring at Sam, who stood near the flagpole in the center of the fort. He watched the visions as they turned and walked away, one by one, until the little girl was the only one left. Sam knew this meant the demons of the past would never fully leave him. Four. Sam entered the home of Mayor Hartford just after seven the next morning, with his hand firmly placed on his revolver. The two walked into the mayor's study, and the mayor poured two drinks. Sam was heavily armed. Don't kill him, Sam. I can't let you. 
The mayor tried to be authoritative as he handed Sam a glass of whiskey. Sam was going to kill him no matter what the mayor said, but he needed the mayor for his plan to work, so he lied. I'll take him alive for you, but if it comes down to me or him, Neil or him, Sam paused to take a sip. It's going to be him, not me, and not my brother. Thank you. I can live with that. He needs to pay for all of this. Steve walked in and poured himself a drink. What do you want me to shoot? Sam asked. Shoot the Davenport. I need a new one anyway. This whole thing scares me, Sam, Steve said before drinking his whiskey. You think it'll work? I have to believe it will. I'm sure he has people watching everyone on the list, or at least keeping an eye on the local happenings. Once I go on my rampage, and he thinks I did what he wanted, he will hear about it. You can count on that. Sam pulled a gun from his shoulder holster. We're not good enough for your revolver? The mayor joked nervously. Shut up and scream, both of you, Sam said with a smile. He shot the couch three times. The thunderous bangs could no doubt be heard for quite a distance. The mayor screamed, and Steve joined in. Sam fired three more shots, and the screaming stopped. The mayor and his aide crouched down and kept away from the window. Just stay out of sight until Jake gets here in a few hours, Sam said as he dropped the gun on the couch, along with a handful of extra ammo. Just in case you need it he added. Sam walked out of the house and drove off as fast as his car would allow. His next stop would be the home of John and his girlfriend Sally. He jumped out of his car, leaving it running, and ran inside. Four shots were fired, and Allie screamed as Sam took off to his next stop, the home of Officer Kenneth Schaefer and his wife and young son. After some time had passed and a few shots were fired, Sam ran out of the house and on to the next stop. At each stop, Sam ran in, fired shots, and ran back out. He had to move fast enough to stay ahead of the cops, so it would look legitimate. There were a few cops who were not on the list and also likely not working for Junior, but Sam didn't know these officers very well and did not fully trust them. So they were not privy to the plan. These cops would think that Sam was really on a rampage, and he needed them to think that. After about two hours of running around to the different locations, Sam made his final stop at the home of Marcus, who lived alone on the edge of town in a modest home that he had built himself many years ago. Sam got out of his car, walked up to the steps of the house, and knocked on the door loudly. The door opened. Duck, Sam said quietly as he pointed the gun at Marcus. Wait, Marcus quickly whispered. Just want to let you know it's working. I just got a call about you. Now I'll duck. Sam fired two shots and ran back to the car and drove off. Sam's plan had been working. The few remaining cops were out roaming the town trying to figure out what was going on. At each location they went to, 
They were kept out by family members, so they wouldn't discover the truth. Most people did it by bad-mouthing Junior. He's in charge of the police, so you must all be bad, they would say to keep the officers at bay. This kept the few officers on edge and also kept the secret plan intact. The only person Sam did not go after was the prisoner. He had no reason to kill him, and he didn't trust him enough to be part of the plan. Sam drove back to his house and snuck out the back door, where Liz was waiting for him with his Canadian horse ready to go. He did this to confuse anyone who might have been watching him. Be careful, Sam, Liz said as Sam climbed onto the horse. She could see the pain in his eyes, but let it be. She knew that he was going to do what he needed to do, no matter how much pain he was in. I'll see you in a few hours, with Neil at my side, Sam said. With a kick to the horse, Sam rode off into the darkness. He returned to the fort and found most of the men had returned as planned. A few were still making their way there, but they had to be sneaky about it. So it took some time. He stood near the flagpole, looking around as the men dug through the crate and bag of weapons and ammo that Al had brought over earlier in the day. As each man armed themselves, Al watched, his cane in one hand and a scoped rifle in the other. Next to him stood Boom with a scoped rifle wrapped in a burlap sack. Boom was wearing his dirty coveralls and a dusty white button-down shirt. He also wore his army helmet, which looked foolish, but he was the best shot in town, and in the county, most likely. The last person to get there was Marcus, who arrived on foot, having to stay clear of any prying eyes. He was out of breath as he ran up to John. After his breathing slowed to normal, he gathered some weapons. Sam looked around at all the men arming themselves and walked over to Al. This is too many. Junior doesn't have the army that he used to have. Neil and I chipped away at it. I think this is ridiculous, he said to Al, who didn't seem to want to hear it. If you had this many men before, Neil wouldn't have been taken in the first place. Let it be what it is. And if we have too many, the fight would just be over sooner, Al said. Boom put his hand on Sam's shoulder. We're all here for you and your brother, he began. We're all volunteers, and we are all going tonight, no matter what you think, or how hard you try to push us away. And whatever happens to us is on us. You can't keep taking responsibility for everyone who dies in the world. Give your shoulders a break for once, Sam. And just let things happen the way they are meant to happen. Sam walked back to the flagpole and raised his hand to get the crowd's attention. Everyone got quiet and waited for him to speak. Many of you have known me and my brother all your lives or all our lives, and a few of you have only known us for a short while. Sam paused briefly and looked around at the faces looking up at him attentively. 
Tonight is not about us. It's not about Junior, or about Frankie, or about any one of you. Tonight... Tonight is about Braxton. Tonight is about saving our town. Tonight is about restoring peace and giving the people of Braxton the chance to once again let their children play in the streets and in the fields and in the woods and in the streams and in their yards. It's about mothers and fathers tucking their children in at night and not having to worry about them being slaughtered while they sleep. Our town was betrayed by one of its own. Even worse, he paused. Worse than that, it was betrayed by the one man who had sworn an oath to protect this town with his life. The one man who had been invited, at one time or another, to each of your houses for dinner with your families. Tonight, we fight to rid this town of evil once and for all. This is it. The final fight. Tonight, it's all or nothing. Tonight, we must stand together as one people. One town. Tonight, we fight for Braxton. The group cheered and raised their guns high in the air as a sign of solidarity. Sam was ready, and the men were ready. Now, they only had to wait for nightfall to put the last stage of their plan into motion. Thank you so much for joining me this week. I hope you enjoyed Chapter 14. Join me next week for the last chapter in the book, Chapter 15, For Demons and Braxton. If you like what you're hearing, please share this show with others. Also, if you're interested, you can hop over to Amazon.com and buy The Kings of Braxton, Born Under Trouble. And thank you very much for stopping by.